All right, turn your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 1. It can be found on page 785 in the Pew Bible. Habakkuk 1, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 112 through 25. 112 through 25. Habakkuk 1, 785 in the Pew Bible. Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaints. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own, pe- as, and collects as his own all peoples. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask now that you would give us wisdom, insight into your word, that we might know you better, and that we might live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes life doesn't make sense. That's how he began. I came across an article by Paul Tripp, in which on Facebook, it was in my nose feed, on which he recounts, he recounts a confusing and chaotic time in his life. I'm going to read an excerpt from his book, a part of it. Uh, it's a longer portion. It's taken from his book called Suffering, Gospel Hope When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Here's what he said. I will never forget October 19, 2014. That's the day my life changed forever. I was away on a ministry trip and began to experience minor symptoms. At my age, it's important to pay attention to my body signals my body's signals, so I called my doctor as soon as I got home. He told me it probably wasn't serious, but recommended I get examined at the hospital four blocks from my house, just in case. I thank God for his advice. As I was waiting in the examination room, my vitals, having my vitals taken, I overheard the physicians mentioning dialysis. What were they talking about? I thought, I don't feel sick. They must have the wrong chart. 
But then I was admitted, and almost immediately after arriving in my hospital room, the pain began. I can never adequately describe the agony I suffered as I went into full body spasms. In intense pain, fear, and utter confusion, I screamed for 36 hours for God to help me. The cause of my suffering? Acute kidney failure. I felt vulnerable and small. I questioned why God would do this to me and was tempted to doubt him. But I held firm to my faith in his goodness, all while multiple surgeries put my entire life on hold for years afterward. I realized that through my physical suffering, God had exposed the delusion that what I had thought was faith was actually just confidence or pride. He showed me that I am not immune to the brokenness of the world. Through my own suffering, I can better relate to the pain of others, helping them bear their burdens and gain comfort from God's presence. This is Paul David Tripp, pastor, theologian, counselor, experienced this, speaker. Have you experienced something like this in your life? Or are you experiencing something like this? Maybe, maybe you're not, but you know someone who is. In a, in a similar way, this, this was Habakkuk's experience long ago. Not, not necessarily with pain, but with confusion. Confusion over the chaos, regarding the chaotic circumstances around him. And what we see in our passage this morning is that in the midst of chaos and confusion, we, we might have a perplexed faith. We need to have a patient faith, and we are called to a persevering faith. So first, in the midst of chaos and confusion, we might have a perplexed faith. So look with me at verses 12 and 13. We see it here. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So what we see here is is Habakkuk's confidence in God. He declares what he knows to be true about God, that God is everlasting, God is eternal, he does not change, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And notice how Habakkuk describes his relationship with the Lord. Habakkuk calls the Lord, my God, my Holy One, O Rock. God has ordained the Babylonians as judgments and has established them for reproof. And then he declares the purity of God who cannot look at wrong. Habakkuk has a right understanding of the character and attributes of God. And you you can see his confidence in God in the phrase, we shall not die. Because he knows that God is faithful to his promises that he has made to his people. Habakkuk knows that when God's people disobey him, they would experience discipline and reproof, right? Back in 2 Samuel 7, 14 and 15, and and even in the covenant blessings and curses in Deuteronomy 28. This reproof, this reproof is intended, like all discipline should be intended, is to lead the people to repentance. 
a change of heart and back to the Lord. Okay, so, so Habakkuk acknowledges that God has ordained and established the Babylonians as instruments of judgment and correction. It's intended as a kind of discipline in order to bring them back to God. He understands the surprising answer that God had given him back in the previous section. Habakkuk realizes that they are in God's hands, and he is carrying out his perfect plan. But he is completely shocked. He's completely shocked that the Lord would use a sinful, wicked nation to accomplish his plan because they're idolaters. In other words, this is who you are, Lord. This is what you've done. But I'm confused. I don't get it. I'm perplexed. This doesn't make sense. This is a cry of faith for someone who is in a relationship with God but looks at what God is doing in the midst of his circumstances and is confused. When you go through trying times, when you go through times of chaos or confusion, or when you receive an answer from the Lord that you don't expect, how do you respond? How do you respond? Habakkuk is confused. He is not displaying a weak faith, but a perplexed faith. He's completely puzzled because what he knows to be true about God doesn't seem to line up with his experiences. So he asks the follow-up question in verse 13 in, in light of God's surprising answer. And first he proclaims that God is pure of eyes. He cannot look upon evil. And yet, it's confusing to him because why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked, the Babylonians, swallow up a man more righteous than he? You recall, and we looked at this last week, and back in verse 3, Habakkuk asked, he asked the Lord, why do you idly look at wrong? Right? Habakkuk was wrestling with God's inactivity in bringing judgment upon his own people, right? He looks within Israel and sees dis- disobedience, and yet God isn't doing anything about it. And now he asks, why do you idly look at traitors? So now Habakkuk is wrestling with, with how can God let sin go unchecked with this wicked nation? Habakkuk expects God to use an instrument of justice and purity to discipline those who forsake him and not a more wicked nation. Notice, notice how the Babylonians are, are described in verses 14 through 17. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Again, Habakkuk highlights the character of God. He recognizes that God is the creator of the world. 
but a reversal has happened in the way things are supposed to be. Right? You recall in the, in the Genesis account, in the creation account, that God said, let us make man in our image to rule over the fish of the sea. But now it is as though God's people have become like the fish of the sea with no ruler. Habakkuk continues with this imagery. The Babylonians are described as those who bring them up with a hook, dragging them out with a net, gathering them within his dragnet. It's actually been observed, it's been observed that the Babylonians had a practice of putting a hook in the lower lip of the people and then dragging them away. Not only extremely painful, but completely humiliating. And they would also, they would, they would capture their prisoners and they would haul them in large nets. They say, blindfold them, haul them in large nets, and then take them into captivity. They were technologically savvy, so to speak. Their military tactics, their, their methods, and in a sense, their technological advancements became a means of shame and death. And what, ma- what makes it even worse is they're idolaters. Right? He, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings. He makes offerings to his dragnet. In other words, they worship what brings them success. They rely on their own strength and in their own stability. They worship what brings death rather than life. They worship the creature rather than the creator. By their advancements in strength, they live luxurious lives, and God is not even considered. So Habakkuk asks, how can this be? How can this be? Verse 17, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So he, he, seeks, to, he seeks to know whether the Lord will continue to allow this. Not only for the nation of Israel, but for other nations. Right? So notice here, Habakkuk has a concern for all nations. How can it be that those who are made in the image of God are being treated like the fish of the sea? There's no ruler to help. Will this go on forever? In the midst of confusion and what he knows about God, he is certainly perplexed. Before we move on to our second point, I want, to, I want us to consider the example that Habakkuk sets here. Right? We too can stand up for what is right. We can and should have a concern for those who are oppressed. And we might have at times and even long seasons in which we are confused and perplexed by what, is, by what God is doing in our lives or in the lives of others that we know who may be going through trials or struggles or or chaos, or adversity. And this isn't a call to, this, this shouldn't result in a weak faith, right? but a faith that is confident in God and who he is and what he has promised. It should lead us to rely upon his word. Just as we see from Habakkuk here, it's okay, it's okay to be confused. As believers, we can have a perplexed faith. This is not a sign of immaturity. It's not a sign of a lack of growth in Christ. And I think sometimes, 
I think sometimes believers have this tendency, right? They have this tendency to question whether or not they have faith because they go through something hard or begin to have questions or are filled with confusion or God doesn't answer our questions the way we, we thought and then we begin to struggle if we really have faith. There's some things we won't understand, yet it is right to seek answers, to inquire of the Lord as long as we do so with our hope in God and not in our improved circumstances. God didn't promise us freedom from suffering or confusion or chaos in this life. Only in the new creation. And we must not forget that God is king. He is the creator and we can rely upon him and his promises because he is faithful. Second, second, in the midst of chaos and confusion, we need to have a patient faith. We need to have a patient faith. So notice, notice verse one. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So now Habakkuk pre- prepares himself for the answer. Habakkuk expressed confusion over the Babylonians being God's instrument of judgment. It just doesn't make sense. He's voiced his complaint to God. He knows that the answer can only come from God. His issue cannot be resolved with human wisdom. So he positions himself at the watchtower as one standing and waiting, as one on the lookout for God's word. He anticipates a reply from the Lord, and he needs to be ready. And there's a sense here in which he's displaying humility and hope. In Isaiah 21, we get a picture of the role and responsibility of the prophet taking his stand at the watch post. Right? They would put a watchman on the city wall, and he would watch out for the safety of the people, and warn of coming trouble. This is what the watchman would do. Ezekiel 3, 7, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. Son of man, I have made you as a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Habakkuk takes his stand at the watchtower until news comes to him that he might be informed and then report back what he hears. He waits patiently on the Lord. And in this waiting process, there's an expectation that he's going to receive an answer. All right, so he will wait and wait and wait and wait until he hears from the Lord. Sometimes we think, all right, I've waited long enough. I've waited long enough. I'm going to use my own wisdom, my own strength, my own imagination because God doesn't seem to be answering. Now, we shouldn't use a claim of waiting on the Lord as a cover for our procrastination or complacency, right? We can make excuses for our unwillingness to act and give it some sort of spiritual reason. So we need to be careful of that as well. But we should also be reminded here 
If we need wisdom, whatever confusing, chaotic thing we go through, and James says in chapter one, in the context of trials, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Right, so we are to pray, we are to wait on the Lord. Habakkuk has prayed, and now he will be patient. He will not rely upon his own wisdom, but on God's word, which he knows will come. So do you wait on the Lord? Are you seeking the Lord and asking him for wisdom when the circumstances in your life are confusing? Are you going to God's word to gain insight and wisdom into his plan for us, right? Into his plan for you. In the midst of any confusion or difficulty or struggles that you might have, as you wait for the Lord for answers, when you cry out to him, I think it's important that we guard our hearts on this, right? In seeking answers from the Lord that aren't clear in Scripture. Even in the midst of decisions that you have to make, especially when it comes to the future, right? Because notice Habakkuk, he wants, he wants to know God's purpose. He wants to know God's plan in the future because God's character seems to be at odds with his circumstances. One writer reminds us, one writer reminds us of this, that God is not a magic eight ball we shake up and peer into whenever we have a decision to make. Right? We know he has a plan, the problem is that we think, we think he's going to always tell us the plan before it unfolds or that he needs to tell us. There can come a point, this writer says, there can come a point when we are no longer seeking understanding but omniscience. We want to know every step, every turn, every possibility, and every outcome. We want control. We want control. So guard against that in your life. Display a patient faith that might not know until Christ returns. Third and finally, we are called to a persevering faith. So look with me at, at verses two through five. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all people. So now the Lord responds. The Lord responds. The Lord doesn't rebuke Habakkuk, but brings a message of comfort and hope. And in this response, we see not only the call for patient faith, right, but we see a call to persevere, a persevering faith. The Lord's reply is a call to faith and dependence upon him. It's a call to rely upon his promises, Habakkuk is told to write this vision, make it plain on tablets, which picks up on the 10 words, the words of the covenant, the 10 commandments given to Moses, written on tablets of stone. Habakkuk is to make it plain on tablets 
so that he may run who reads it. This likely is referring to the, the messenger. The, the runner is the messenger who is proclaiming the vision. And Jeremiah, the prophet that ran, was tied to the idea of prophesying or proclaiming the message that he heard from the Lord. And this seems to be the case here. Verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. This is a word of hope for this generation and for all future generations. Right? He's, he's writing this down. He's not going to experience and see all this. He is told to write it down. This word would bring comfort to God's people as they wait for the fulfillment of the vision. The fulfillment would come at the appointed time, but it may be slower than the prophet expects. Now, what is it that they're waiting for? What are they waiting for? Within its context, Habakkuk is waiting for God's judgment to be returned upon the Babylonians and deliverance or rescue for the righteous ones who are being mistreated and oppressed. Not only within Israel, but but from from the Babylonians themselves. He is waiting for the righteous to be vindicated and the unjust to be punished. As you know, perhaps you know history, right? You've studied history. The immediate fulfillment of this is the judgment that Judah experienced at the hands of the Babylonians in 586 BC when God's people are carted off to Babylon as exiles and then they return in 539 BC when Babylon falls to Persia. It will come slowly, and it will not delay. You might not be aware of this, but verse 3, this verse, is quoted in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews. This passage ultimately points to a greater fulfillment for God's people, for those who are trusting in Christ. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, 36 and 37. Let me give you some context. The believers were experiencing difficulty, suffering, chaos, confusion, publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, accepting the plundering of their property, similar to Habakkuk. And then Hebrews 10, 36 and 37. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Habakkuk 2.3. This is a call for persevering faith and hope in God. And so what we wait for is the return of Jesus Christ. He is coming. He is coming. So no matter the suffering, no matter the difficulty that you experience in this life, you can have comfort and hope this morning because God is faithful. Christ is returning. And in the meantime, how are you to live? How are we to live as we wait for his return? We're given two contrasting lifestyles in verses four and five, in two, four, and five. In this vision, the proud is contrasted with the righteous. Verse 
verses 4 and 5, Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as white as Sheol, like death he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. So we see in the first part of verse 4 and then in verse 5, the description of the proud. His soul is puffed up. This would have been a reference to the king, this, the, the leader of Babylon. But it could be applied to all who are arrogant or prideful. The prideful person exalts himself. He's concerned about his own personal value and worth. They're self-reliant and self-sufficient and self-centered. But this comes with consequences. They are not upright. The one who is puffed up is blinded to his true state. He's never at rest, never satisfied. Even though they swallow up nations, they are never content. They're filled with greed. And though the arrogant continue to succeed, it will not last. And in the end, they will be condemned and judged. That's the outcome for the prideful king of Babylon, for the prideful in Israel who failed to trust in the Lord, and for all who are characterized by arrogance and self-reliance. But these are not the characteristics of those who are righteous or the outcome for the righteous. So notice the last part of verse 4. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Though the enemy surrounds the righteous, though they would be taken into exile in Babylon, the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous in Habakkuk is the one who has faith in God, who trusts in God and lives faithfully before him. The Apostle Paul would pick up on this in, in Romans 1.17 and Galatians 3.11. The righteous, the righteous is the one who is declared to be right with God. Okay, the righteous, the one who is declared to be right with God, comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 1.17, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. So beginning and ending with faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4. Paul makes the case that to be declared righteous, we must believe in Jesus. The gospel reveals this. So if you want to be right with God, and I want everyone here to be right with God. If you want to be right with God, sins forgiven, a changed life, brought into fellowship and relationship with God, believe in Jesus Christ. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. Turn from your sins and turn to Jesus, who died on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve. He was condemned for us. He was punished for us so that if we trust in him, we will live forever with him. We receive his righteousness and are justified and declared in God's courtroom as just, as right. The verdict is rendered now. 
The verdict is rendered now already righteous. Righteous, not guilty. As Paul says in Galatians 3, it is evident that no one is justified, declared right, before God by the law for, what Paul? Why? Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. It's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. We are not declared to be right with God on the basis of what we do, but upon reliance and trust in God and trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. The righteous shall live by his faith. We start with faith, we continue with, in faith. That's the point in Habakkuk here. God's people, the righteous, must continue to live by his faith. The author of Hebrews, he didn't just quote verse 3 of Habakkuk. He also quotes verse 4. We've already looked at Hebrews 10, 37, as he picked up on verse three, that the coming one will come and will not delay. But now in verse 38, he quotes Habakkuk 2, 4. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is a call to steadfast trust in God and his promises. Those who are right with God will respond with continual trust and faith in God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the call then for us is not just I believed once, The call for us is steadfast faith in the faithfulness of God. The righteous shall live by his faith, then, is ultimately a call to have a persevering faith. Not, I believe, a long time ago. No, to have a persevering faith, no matter the circumstances. We must continue on in the faith in spite of obstacles. So in the midst of hardships, in the midst of trials, struggles, confusion, chaos that you may experience or, or have experienced or will consp- experience, let's persevere. Persevere in the midst of it. We may at times be perplexed, but let's continually trust in God's faithfulness. He always does what is right and he knows what is best. Let's turn our eyes on Jesus. Let's look to him and believe and faithfully seek to honor him and obey him in all areas of our lives. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we recognize there might be times in our lives, and even maybe some are experiencing it today, they're confused, frustrated, 
can't figure out what's going on in their life or in the lives of those around them. We recognize that we might be perplexed. That's a reality that we experience. It's not a sign of weakness or a lack of faith. As we continue to go for you, go to you, we cry out to you, just as Paul Tripp did. And we recognize the, the significance and value of trusting in your word and in your promises and trusting in Jesus Christ and looking to him and the importance of continuing on in the faith. We know that the righteous shall live by his faith. So might you give us hope and comfort and strength to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.